Take off the blazer, loosen up the tie, step inside the booth. Mr. Monday's alive. You're listening to the Urban Business Roundtable. I'm your host, Curtis R. Monday. Feels so good to be back. Don't let a good, can't let a good pandemic keep me down, man. <laughs> a terrible pandemic, brother. I'm glad to be back, y'all. Call me in the studio at 312-374-8130. That's 312-374-8130. We have a phenomenal show lined up for you today going to be sharing with you five financial strategies that's five financial strategies you can use during this COVID-19 pandemic also we'll be joined uh, by uh, Mr. Daryl Newell president of Seaway Bank sharing with us some different resources that are out there for African-American business owners or business small business owners in, in, at large but you know particularly for us in our community uh, they help us with resources to be able to conduct business. And then coming up real soon uh, is the one and only Mr. Mark Moriel, CEO and president of the National Urban League. For those who are just tuning in the first time, you may not know this, but the show is called the Urban Business Roundtable. It's a show dedicated to the creation and growth of the urban entrepreneur and the small business owners. We got three primary goals here on the Urban Business Roundtable. Number one, we want to redefine the word urban and help the urban community leverage their purchasing power. Two, we want to be a resource for the creation, the sustaining and growth of small businesses and entrepreneurship. And three, to provide small business owners and entrepreneurs access to capital and give them opportunities to grow their business. You can listen to the Urban Business Roundtable live every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. and a condensed recap every Wednesday at uh, 8.30 a.m. and Thursday at 6.05 p.m. The Urban Business Roundtable is sponsored by Aerial Capital. Uh, investments and so we appreciate everything that you guys do over at Ariel. Before I get into it, I got to get thanks for thanks to do. Want to say thank you, God. Thank you, God. First and foremost, want to say thank you for health and hope. I want to say thank you that I'm healthy and my family are healthy. And I know we um, maybe at one point in time took that for granted, but not in this day and age. But I'm also praying for those that have lost a family member or loved ones during this difficult time. I want to also thank God for hope. Thank you for hope. Hope that allows me and all of us to continue to press towards the mark. Hope that we have a sincere belief that this too shall pass. And so I want to thank you this morning. I want you to follow me on all social media platforms, Facebook, Curtis R. Monday, Instagram, C. Monday. And be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, Curtis R. Monday, and then go out there to uh, Apple iTunes and subscribe to the Curtis R. Monday podcast. To learn more about me, visit the website, www.curtisrmonday.com. And as always, to get your financial house in order, I want you to call the Curtis R. Monday Insurance Agency, 708-647-1005. So happy to say that we still have not laid off or cut one employee due to this COVID-19. It's through you guys' support and God's grace that we've been able to uh, keep everyone intact. I want to welcome my first guest. Uh, he is the CEO and, and uh, the president of the National Urban League. He's been highlighting racial disparities in the U.S. and not only health, but housing, education, criminal justice, and civic engagement, all of which are now in play in the pandemic. I want to say good morning to Mr. Mark Moriel. Good morning to you, Mr. Moriel. How you doing, sir? Hey, good morning to you, and good morning, Chicago, and w- good morning, WDOA audience, and Congratulations on your show. Thank you very much. And I'd be remiss if, if I didn't tell you that I have a, a close friend, uh, Danita Collins out of Houston, who's such a big fan of you and your spouse and all that you do. She went to Diller, and she got so excited when she heard that you and I were talking this morning. So I said I'll be sure to let him know that I didn't even need to research bio, Mr. Morio. She gave me everything. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and uh, look, I'm so pleased to be able to speak with you this morning. And uh, I, I want to shout out the uh, my friends and colleagues at the Chicago uh, Urban League, uh, led by Karen Freeman Wilson, our new CEO, for all of the important work they're doing. And I've been a big fan of the VON for many years. I've been a guest on WVON for more than 30 years. Uh, and just appreciate the voice that you all represent for the people of Chicago. Absolutely. Thank you. Let's get right into the conversation. Uh, I want to give you some some statistics that I'm pretty sure you're aware of, but let's just go over it. On Thursday, the U.S. Labor Department reported that another 5.2 million people filed for unemployment benefits for the week ending uh, April 11th. And that brings the four-week total to about approximately 22 million people that have filed for unemployment, which means that COVID-19 has effectively eliminated the 22 million jobs that were created the Great Recession of 2008. Over 700,000 confirmed COVID-19 cases in the U.S. and over 32,000 deaths in the U.S. And as bad as these numbers are, Mr. Moriel, for the country, minorities, especially African Americans, have been hit harder. I want you to help put into perspective just how disproportionate the impact has been on minorities, particularly African Americans, if you can. Yeah, let me let me try to put this. This is maybe the best information that that I've seen. And, and first of all, we've got to continue to call on the Center for Disease Control to release comprehensive demographic data. We need to know the age, the gender, the race. Uh, we need a health profile of everyone who's been infected by COVID, everyone who's been hospitalized, everyone who unfortunately has lost their life. The Associated Press did an analysis of uh, a number of areas in the United States where approximately 21% of the population were represented by people of color. So this is broader than African-Americans. But 42% of the victims were from the same communities. So you've got a disproportionality of almost two to one. Uh, You know there in Chicago, the latest information that I have is that 64% of the deaths in Chicago are African-American, where African-Americans are only 30% of the population of the city of Chicago. The same holds true for Michigan, Louisiana, uh, Milwaukee, those places where the racial data is available. Uh, People ask why, and this is important, why. Underlying chronic conditions, diabetes, hypertension, obesity, and asthma have always disproportionately affected our community because of institutional racism, because of lack of access to insurance, quality hospital doctors uh, and clinics. Uh, many, many of these, because we, in many instances, do the most physically demanding jobs, have long days because of public transit commutes, a whole host of issues. Uh, and when you come, when the virus hits and you have a chronic condition, all of the experts say that, the ability of your body to be able to ward it off is not as strong. So that's why we have seen this. This is a legacy of institutional racism and health disparities in our country. And the large question is, will our leaders, and I think many want to, will, will our leaders respond to this uh, as we as we move forward? And we should talk a little bit about what that is. Now, I should also mention that on the economic front, uh, I've got, New information I received uh, this morning on the Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program, uh, and they issued 
1,600,000 loans, total $342 billion through approximately 5,000 lenders. Now, we don't have uh, demographic information on this. What we do know is that it appears that many larger businesses gained the system by applying to subsidiaries that may have, quote, met the test of being a small business. Wow. They were part of a bigger, larger company. This program appears to have been clumsily administered in yep. some measure by the Small Business Administration. Uh, and, and I am so interested in knowing, uh, you know, how African-American businesses fare. We do not have the data. Let me give you some information because you people, your listeners are probably concerned and be interested in Illinois. So in Illinois, there were 69,000 approved loans for a total of $15,900,000,000. And uh, uh, we have, once again, no demographic data. We need the demographic data. Not only the black, white, Hispanic, male, female-owned business data, but we also need uh, to know what size these businesses are and where yeah. these businesses are located. Uh, this is why, if as Congress considers the next uh, iteration, there has to be uh, a set-aside uh, for businesses uh, owned by people of color biz- or businesses and or businesses who uh, have less uh, than 10 employees uh, many of the businesses in the African-American community have less yep. uh, than 10 employees. So we've got to really, really demand, uh, or we can't support a second bill if it's going to be more of the same when it comes to this Paycheck Protection Program. It was a good program in design and in concept, but what it appears is that bank uh, gave preference to their existing customers, yep. probably customers, uh, with whom they had loans, or customers with whom they had long-standing relationships. Yeah. So what, this has got to be fixed. When you're talking about a, a two trillion dollar package that was approved and and probably 72 hours, uh, approximately 72 hours was trying to be administered. Yeah. The SBA didn't have the infrastructure to to implement the program, so you had to go through the banks, and each bank had their own different criteria in terms of how they did it. Chase wasn't ready to go on day one. I banked with Bank of America for my business, and some individuals who banked with Bank of America were turned away because they didn't have an existing loans with the institution. And so it was just kind of clumsily kind of done. And now we're getting emails from the institution saying that our paperwork isn't in proper order, but you can't talk to anybody to give specifications or specific information as to what's missing. And so you're right. Uh, small businesses are definitely suffering. You said something. And as I look at this this narrative, this I mean, this reporting of COVID-19 and how it's disproportionately impacting African-Americans and minorities, but in this case, African-Americans, I'm thankful and appreciative of you given the why that we've been that we're being impacted, because what I'm concerned about, Mr. Moriel, is that the narrative of this thing will change that COVID-19 is a, a virus that impacts um, irresponsible minorities because the numbers justify that. And I'm all, and, and I'm slowly seeing a, a shift and I'm very sensitive about that not happening. And I like the why that you gave that it's not the fact that we're, we're black or minorities and we're irresponsible. It's all the systemic racism and the institutional shortcomings that we've been faced with. So I appreciate your why on that. So I'm going to 
so and let's 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 put this. You know, one thing we do not want is for people to paint this as a black and a brown disease. Right. The majority of the people in the country are, are not people of color who've been infected by this. The majority of the people who died are not people of color across the board in the country. It affects everyone, and anyone can infect anybody else. Yes. That's what's so important, right? We've got to understand that while we talk about these disparities, and you're right, we don't allow a false fake news narrative to be created that somehow, oh, this is just a disease affecting black people or brown people. That's a falsehood. That's a falsehood, and it's a misrepresentation of the fact. But we have to recognize that these disparities, and the reason why it's important to me uh, important to the Urban League as we think about it is because it goes to when Congress says we're going to spend another trillion dollars and we're going to put it in the health care system, or we're going to try to bridge the economy uh, across this self-induced economic coma, uh, we uh, need to make sure it's done in a way that doesn't continue to exacerbate existing uh, existing racial uh, inequality. And so, you know, this is an important time uh, where we can't just offer up support for business as usual. Business as usual. Uh, there in the city of Chicago, I've seen the mayor. She's been uh, superb in her yeah. public appearances, speaking on behalf of Chicago and talking about this racial disparity. Her voice has emerged as one of the important national voices on this issue because she leads a great city with a diverse population. Uh, other mayors across the nation uh, have, have leaned in. Civil rights leaders are going to lean in. The Congressional Black Caucus, we've had numerous conversations with them. They are going to lean in. But our friends, uh, the people we support in the public sphere, members of the United States Senate, for example, and governors, have to also lean in aggressively to say, Congress, we've got to respond about the racial inequities that COVID is exposing. They're always there. Yeah. COVID just exposes them. Absolutely. Exposed them. The recession exposed them. Yeah, Mr. Moore, yeah, a good friend of mine, Professor Rasheed Carter from the City Colleges of Chicago, says that elections have consequences. And those consequences are often reflected in leadership on both the federal and state levels. President Trump recently presented a framework for reopening the economy. I'm curious as to what are your thoughts about the strategy and, and how do you, as a representative for the Urban League, see uh, this strategy impacting uh, communities I of think color? There's, there's certainly a sense across the board that people want to return to normal. It's particularly the case if you have been laid off and you don't have any income coming in. You want to get back to work. You want to get back. However, Public health and public safety is the number one paramount concern. And I think that this decision should be left to governors, mayors, and local elected officials because, after all, they are the ones that responded to the crisis and said, look, we're going to have to take the extraordinary step of asking you to physically distance, work from home, and self-quarantine. The president was slow on the draw. Uh, he was slow on the pitch uh, in terms of responding at the beginning, and the governors and the mayors stepped up 
and provided the leadership. So I'm looking for the governors and the mayors to create the direction. So it's got to be done in a safe and healthy way. We don't want to rebound. Right. We don't want to relapse. Right. What does that mean? Do we need universal testing? Will we have to continue to physically distance to some extent? How far away is a treatment, you know, a medicine, a treatment, a therapy, something that uh, helps to cure those that have it or keep it from getting worse than those that have it? And how far away is a vaccine? So for me, measles, mumps, rubella, polio, smallpox, we have a vaccine. Um, for HIV AIDS, there's a treatment. There's a there's a there's a there's a medicine that people can take uh, if if they're infected with with, with that uh, that virus. So, you know, we need to, to listen to the medical community, to the public health experts in this instance. They are the soldiers in this fight. Sure, they sure. are those with the expertise, and I think politicians and elected officials can't supplant. Not even the president of the United States should supplant uh, their their judgment for the judgment of these experts. So people want to get back to normal, uh, you know, from an economic standpoint, but it's got to be done at the right time and in the right way. And so the, the the National Urban League and our affiliates across the country, we are economic first responders. We are providing help to people who've been laid off. We're providing help to people who are concerned about eviction. Uh, and foreclosure, uh, we will continue to provide those services on an expanded basis uh, under the banner of the Urban League Fights for You as this evolves. We see that uh, and we sense and we know, we all know that some people who've been laid off, their jobs may not be there when we return to normal. And sure. returning to normal may be a gradual process, not an immediate process. But public health and safety is paramount. And look, I'm so uh, concerned uh, about the young people and the children. 97% of uh, children on the globe uh, are working from home. That's an unprecedented number of children who are not in school. Uh, School districts and educators will have a challenge as to how they respond uh, in the fall. In many cities, summer programs for youth are camps. Uh, et cetera, summer schools, pools in some cities uh, will not open because of COVID-19. We've got to think about what activities uh, we'll have for our children over the summer and how the schools return to normal in the fall. So this is a crisis of, of unprecedented dimensions, yeah. uh, but this is a crisis where leaders have to lead, where people have to step up, and, and the citizens of the, of the nation and the citizens of communities and cities and states across the nation have been uh, very, I think, supportive of the steps. These are extreme steps to stay at home, to stay inside, extreme steps for children to not be able to go to school. These are extreme steps that uh, the nation has taken in, in many states. And so people are anxious, but I also think, People are cautious and careful and want assurances that by reopening, we're not going to have a relapse and we're not going to have a, re- a, 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 a explosion of reinfection. Yeah, very, very well said. Um, give our listening audience, Mr. Moriel, an idea, um, you know, as, as we're uh, most people definitely in our community are, are suffering. 
uh, what are resources is the Urban League offering or maybe some of your partners to, to help with individuals who may be impacted in terms of things uh, with their health or financially as a uh, as a reflection um, yeah, so of COVID? In Chicago, uh, the Entrepreneurship Center at the Chicago Urban League is one of the best in the country. So for small business owners, we continue to provide services, albeit we have to do it remotely under these circumstances. So we're there for the small business owner. For the worker who may be unemployed, may need some counsel, some, some advice, they may be eligible for the SNAP program now, the food stamp program, and may be eligible for other uh, opportunities. Uh, we can be a resource for you. Uh, in most community, uh, most urban league affiliates, we'll assist people who are looking for reemployment or looking for new opportunities to be employed. In Charlotte, our affiliate held a great virtual career fair uh, with about seven or eight employers, and we're talking to a number of partners about doing something uh, like that in a very significant way uh, in, 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 in the next several weeks. So we can continue, and again, we, uh, the Urban League, I'm probably, in fact, we've got 90 affiliates. We serve 300 communities. We've got over 2,000 employees and 15,000 volunteers who are mobilized as first responders, and one of the best affiliates in the country uh, in the Urban League movement is uh, the Chicago Urban League, which is a legendary uh, affiliate, and we can't do all things for all people, but we're committed to being a force. Our great new leader, Ben Carrick, Nielsen, stands on the shoulders of a, of a, of a, of a of many, many great urban league affiliate leaders uh, in, in, in the city of Chicago. We can provide housing services, people concerned about eviction or foreclosure. So we're there uh, on the front lines, and we're working now on ways to expand what we do because we see the need to serve more people as being acute, really acute. Mr. Moriel, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead with the talk. Go ahead. So, so I, I hope people, and let me just say two other things. Sure. Uh, you can go to NUL.org, and at NUL.org, we have a COVID-19 page with uh, resources on it. And I wanted to put a last push in to people to make sure to fill out that census form. Yeah. Uh, do it online if you have access to a computer or even a smartphone. Fill out that census form. And uh, communities who have not filled the form out online will still begin receiving, as we understand it, uh, paper forms to fill out. You've got to make sure that in this crisis, we are counting. Yeah, yeah. Well, sir, we sincerely appreciate you and the work that you and the Urban League um, do. And let's make sure we keep the lines of communication open. I want to wish you, your family, and all your loved ones continued health during this time. Same to you, and uh, love VON, love the great city of Chicago and its people uh, and the Chicago Urban League. So uh, proud to be with you this morning. We'll come back again, and congratulations on the success of your show. Thank you very much, sir. We're going to take a quick break. Mr. Mark Moriel, President and CEO of the, of the Urban League. We'll come back on the other side. We'll be joined by Mr. Darrell Newell, President of Seaway Bank, will talk to us about programs that's out there to help uh, entrepreneurs and small business owners during this tough time, getting a little talk about the Paycheck Protection Program. You'll listen to Monday here on the Urban Business Roundtable. Talk Chicago, 1690 WBON. 
You're listening to the Urban Business Roundtable presented by Ariel Investments. Welcome back to the Urban Business Roundtable. I'm your host, Curtis R. Monday. Call my office at 708-647-1005 to get your financial house in order. Catch me at 11 a.m. Uh, following the show, 11 a.m. to noon, on well, She Flips, He Flips, with my co-host, E.J. Uh, Williams, as we talk about real estate investing. I want to welcome uh, my next guest to the Urban Business Roundtable, uh, the president uh, of Seaway uh, Bank, and deals with a, a very, very important topic uh, that, we, that we need right now in respect to lending. Um, and so uh, our, our guest, Mr. Daryl Newell, uh, has a long career in banking uh, in the Chicago area. He's a forward-thinking executive and with a results-oriented approach. Combine that with extensive banking program, he's helped Seaway Bank continue to be a pillar within the community. I want to say good morning to Mr. Daryl Newell. Good morning, Daryl. How you doing? Good morning, Curtis. How are you? All right. And again, wishing you, family, and loved ones continued health during this tough time, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, man, you, you, you're, you guys... Uh, presence within the community uh, has been prevalent for a number of years, but uh, now more than ever, uh, we definitely need an uh, institution like Seaway. Talk to our listener audience about uh, how you guys are uh, helping the community, small business owners, and just individuals at large uh, in respect to COVID-19. Well, that's a, a great uh, question. I appreciate you bringing that up, Curtis. You know, there's been lots of talk about, you know, financial stability, how to handle you know, stay-at-home orders. You know, so the first thing we've done is just really take care of our members by making sure that we've educated everyone about any loan forgiveness programs that we have available. All that information is out there on our website uh, so that we can be as supportive as we can during this time of need. We are SBA lenders, so we did participate in the first round of the um, Paycheck Protection Program, we were able to get out about $52 million, and that that reached about 5,200 people and helping them stay employed. You know, and just, you know, the real crux there was it was just more than about giving out the dollars and more than about forgiving the loans. It's about providing our members and the community the information around how to take advantage of these programs, right? Sure. Especially when they're limited in time, right? When time is of the essence. A lot of times we just don't have what we call the personal touch or we don't know someone in the neighborhood that can give us the information we need to take advantage of the program. And that's the one thing that we pride ourselves on at Seaway, which is a division of self-help federal credit union. And, you know, my motto is, is that, you know, you may not be always able to reach President Diamond, but you can reach President Newell or someone on the team because we live and work with you every day in the community. And so what we're really proud of is we can add a personal touch to this whole situation and really walk people through what's required to take care of themselves and their family. I, I, as a small business owner, I, I can't echo the importance of that personal touch. When you get with the larger institutions, there's a um, less connectivity there than opposed to with the smaller to mid-sized community-based organizations. It, it, to say it another way, I've always found with the Seaway Bank, I was able to tell my story, and they were able to see what I was doing locally in the community, and it made it an easier transition to be able to get support, you know, with growing my local business, which is important to the local economy. So I applaud you guys on that. Talk to us a, a little bit about the protection, protect the Paycheck Protection Program. Still, we hear a little bit about what's going on in the news. There are still some individuals who 
don't quite know how the program works. And, and I know there's some funding issues, but just from a functionality standpoint, how does it work? So great question. Uh, so the Paycheck, Paycheck Protection Program is a program through the SBA, and the SBA is the administrator of the program. The government said, hey, I'm going to give out the first round was $350 billion for companies with less than 500 employees to apply. So in America, small businesses, anyone with less than 500 employees, we typically don't think about it that way, right? right. We think of the folks with 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 employees, but it's, it's really up to 500 employees. So the whole, the way the entire program worked is the government set aside an appropriation, the SBA administered it, and they went first to banks that were SBA lenders. And why that's important is because anytime you're rolling out a first-time program, the guidance is not always clear initially, right? Everybody's heart is in the right place. Let's get the money out. Let's get the applications flowing. But things are continually changing as the program is rolling out, right? Right. Because the government was trying to do the right thing. Let's make sure that Curtis and his company gets this money because if I can give you money through the Paycheck Protection Program, that keeps people from filing for unemployment, right? Because I want to make sure that the small businesses are still there when we come out this self-imposed recession, right? It does right. no good to put people out of business. So the program was in the right place, right? The, the spirit of it was designed appropriately. So what happened next was is now all the lenders got in a row. Some lenders put the loans on their books. We built a special interface to the SBA. You know, obviously software providers were providing that interface. We selected one of those. So that way we could have a direct interface. And then that's when the hustle starts, right? (laughs) Get the application out to the small business owners, right? But in the meantime, everybody's trying to figure out what's the calculation. So the way it works, there's this application that's typically used for a 7A program. Don't want to kill everybody with a bunch of jargon, but that's just (laughs) a real one-page little application, right? Right, right. Then... It's written. It's supposed to be simple, right? That's why they went with SBA lenders because then on the back end, to get it done, you need a bank that already has underwriters that understand the SBA, right? Right. That's why you couldn't just go to any lender. Now, some lenders figured it out sooner than others that necessarily weren't SBA lenders because they had a bunch of smart people. But that's why they set it up that way. The application comes in, and then there was a calculation for you to figure out what your payroll was between a particular period of time. Right. And so you had an opportunity to be compensated or to receive money for that payroll or the benefits and anything associated in the payroll definition. See, So, Curtis, this is where it gets real murky. And this is where the personal touch comes in, because a lot of small businesses, you know, if you don't use a paychecks or, you know, a payroll company. Right. Right. ADP, that calculation isn't easily done. So watch this. This was the trick. Then the government issued that program, and then they said, for those of you who are using a payroll provider, they educated the payroll providers on this is the formula, so they just told the small business owners, call your payroll provider and get the calculation. You get that calculation on a little form and then upload it to the bank, and then the bank basically used that as gospel. So that actually increased your time of getting through the pipeline. Wow, okay. So what we found is this. You need to know how to fill out the program, so then the the application. So now there are companies like Chicago Community Loan Fund and all those type of places 
who are giving assistance on just how to fill out the app, right? Because remember, time is of the essence, so you got to know what your NASIC code is. Who ever heard of NASIC code? I don't know what industry I'm in. So that's a whole other ball of wax, right? I'm an old guy. I call it the SIT code, but I don't want to tell you how old I am. So that was the first hurdle, right? And then you right. got to figure out what your payroll is, and then people got confused when they said it was a cap on 100000 You could add – your payroll could get up to 100000 but then there were some other expenses, rent, and interest on mortgages that could be added in. So it gets a little complicated, right? Right. For you to come up with the calculation. And then on top of that, then the, it had, the application had to get through the banks, right? Because they, you know, remember, so that the government was smart. We got the pool of money through the SBA, and we want lenders to understand the SBA, which means then you understand our regulatory requirements. Because even though this is free money, there is still a burden of proof on the small business owner to confirm that what they're asking for through their tax records or some other type of record, some type of other federal document, is legitimate. So, you know, I've been telling all my small business people now that now the time, the easy part was getting the money, if that makes sense. Now the hard part is documenting what you spent the money on to make sure you don't run afoul of the guidance that allows your loan now to become a grant. Right. So that's the next personal touch that we're going to put in. So now for the folks that got approved to us, what we're doing is, is we're going to help you understand how to keep track of your records so when it comes time to pony up with the government, so to speak, you don't have to pay back the loan. Because that was the whole idea. They really don't want you to pay it back because think about it. If you're making payroll, people aren't going to unemployment, and that's better for all the economic indicators that show that we're not in a recession, right? The money's there whether you go through PPP or go through unemployment, but it's better to go through PPP because we know we're keeping businesses around because when we come out of this man-made recession, businesses have to be available for the people to go back to work. But there's still a trick to all this, Curtis. You've got to pay attention to the fine print. And, the, and, it, and it's ever-changing, right, in the guidance. So that's what I'm proud about. Yeah, we did $52 million. Yeah, we helped 5,200-plus people, you know, with their unemployment. But what, it was the information. I always go back to that. So what we found in the process is we've actually got a checklist now that we can send out. We're ready for the second round. So we developed a checklist for all those business owners. So think about it, Curtis. You know your business. You don't. Most small businesses are not applying for loans, right, because you just make it money. You're paying your payroll taxes. You're paying your sales taxes. You make money. So you're not even familiar with how to fill out the loan app. So we came up with a checklist for the program. Then we came up with a tips, an application tip sheet, right? So while you're trying to figure out what they're looking for, we just came up with a tip sheet based on the conversations we've already had with people that have applied who had questions. Because remember, the questions are ever 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 changing because the guidance is ever changing. In fact, they just completed the guidance on the 14th of this month for sole proprietors and for people that are 1099 employers or employees rather, right? But remember, you could start applying on April the 10th, but they did not complete the guidance to the 14th. So everything is fluid. So we were trying to capture what we were learning as we were going through the application process with our members and the community to make sure that we could then share that information so that your application could be completed correctly and we could try to get you in in 48 to 72 hours, right, from start to finish. Because there is a checklist. The government mandates that there's certain information, and we want to help our members understand what that is so that we can get you that loan number at the end of the process. So back to your original question. You get the app. You send in all these documents. 
we had somebody checking it first before we sent it to our underwriter to finally make sure that it was correct before submission. So when any financial institution submits that application to the SBA, the SBA is approving them quickly, and this is the whole crux of the program. This is why you needed someone that was familiar with SBA, because now the government is saying, we trust you, Mr. or Ms. Financial Institution, that you understand our program. So as soon as we get the app, they're approving it. Yeah. Right? They're, they're not looking at it somewhere. Well, let me see. Let me check out Mr. Monday. Um, no, once they get it from us, they're they're relying on the institutions to, to know what we're doing, right, based on their guidance. Sure. So once you got that loan number, you were done. That's how the process worked. And then you had 10 days from the time that the SBA approved your loan and gave you a loan number for the bank to put the money in your account. Wow. That's probably the most comprehensive breakdown I've heard of the program. And thanks for the, for the inner workings. It, it provides a lot of uh, insight as to what you guys are dealing with. And it also, again, I think positions uh, Seaway pretty well as a beacon of light within the community to help us navigate these murky waters. Uh, in closing, Mr. Newell, is there anything that our, our listeners, whether it be a small business owner or a consumer, should know? And, and, and how can they contact you guys for assistance? Well, the key thing is just to go to our website, right? All this is on the website. We we got, we I mentioned we're forgiving loans. You know, we got information about PPP on the website. You know, it's self-helpfcu.org, self-helpfcu.org. And you'll see it right there. It'll be Paycheck Protection Loans. We're telling you what we're doing. If you already had an app in the process, we're still processing it for you. Because we're getting ready for the second round. If you had a loan with us and you can't pay, then there's information on what to do there. You got a loan and you need to make a partial payment, there's information on how to do that. But, you know, the whole key crux of the matter right now is to try to reserve your money. So the one thing that we've done is we realized that, yeah, some people unfortunately have been furloughed or lost their job. But there are other people that have been fortunate enough to work that need to also that need to also manage their cash. So we're right now we've got a mortgage promotion going where we're, you know, actively you know using FHA and VA to help folks refinance home mortgages. Now the rates are historically low, so to improve your cash flow. So if you're currently paying eight hundred dollars or nine hundred dollars or thousand dollars in a VA or FHA loan or any loan for that matter. We're working to make sure that then we can refinance you, maybe get you down to 600 or 650 that frees that cash flow up you need it in an uncertain time, right? Yeah. So, you know, we're trying to be more than just loan forgiveness. We're trying to actually be out there lending and helping people become homeowners, which also then allows them to still build wealth for those who are fortunate enough to still be in that situation, right? Because that additional cash flow that they free up then can be used to donate to help others. Right. Or to help another family member or buy PPE and donate it to our, you know, our first responders and essential businesses. Right. Because that's going to be the next thing as we open up. Small business owners that want to open up are going to have to figure out how to get some PPE. Right. Yep. And you're going to need money for that. So, you know, we're just pleased that we can be here to provide all the required information. You know, go to our website and take a look at it. All the information is there. We've got a form for you to click on if you're interested in PPP or if you're a current member, you just need a little assistance. You know, it's all right there. We, we, we're just trying to be as helpful as we can to make sure that people during this man-made recession can come out as unscathed as possible. For those who have had credit challenges, we've got a nice little credit builder product where we don't even run your credit bureau. 
we give you the money to secure the loans. That way you can keep a bunch of ones. That means you paid on time within 30 days on your credit report. So just check it out uh, on the website. You know, there's a way that you can reach us, and we'll be more than willing to help you out as best we can. All right, absolutely. Mr. Darrell Newell, president of Seaway Bank, we thank you, sir. Keep up the great work. Thank you. All right, sir. All right. All right. Great information from Mr. Newell and also uh, Mr. Mark Moriel, president and CEO of the Urban League. Um, man, a, a litany of information, a lot of different things. Let me try to, to run through some things. I said I'll, I'll give this to you guys. I want to give you um, some strategies, some strategies in respect to your money to use during COVID-19. Tip number one, be sure that you buy some life insurance or review your existing plan. Right. The pandemic is killing thousands of people across the country. You got some 22 million people who filed for unemployment. So let me back up. You, we see that the pandemic is running rampant and it's killing people. So therefore, you need to make sure that your life insurance is in place. A lot of individuals uh, have their only life insurance source uh, coming from their job or their place of employment. Well, we just had 22 million people in the last four weeks file for unemployment um, insurance. So therefore, there's no life insurance, there's no job, so i.e. there's no life insurance on your job. So you can't let your life insurance from your job be your only source of coverage. And so even if it's a small term policy, make sure that you have your life insurance in place. And and keep in mind too, this thing called pre existing conditions. You know, like if you had cancer, you know, uh before you apply for life insurance, that history of cancer may negate you from getting life insurance or it may be a situation where you rate it higher, a higher premium for your life insurance. And so I haven't seen anything, but it doesn't surprise it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if like COVID nineteen became a um a prerequisite or a pre existing condition that's taken into consideration of your life insurance uh, application. Meaning that if you had it, maybe it could be a situation that you know you you're gonna be uh, rated for it, a table rating, which means you pay a higher premium. So I encourage you that if you don't have it, your health is okay, take advantage of that. Number two, complete a will and a trust. Start that will, start that trust, start that estate planning process. Create a detailed plan outlining how your assets are going to be passed on. This process, the process of creating the will, the process of creating the trust, will force you to think about passing on wealth and protecting assets. Do not fall into the trap of thinking that you have time to do this. 2020 has been the greatest teacher that life is unexpected. And we don't have as much time to do things as we once thought we did. Three, review your child's college savings plan. If you have a 529 plan uh, or the other or UGMA uh, or some other kind of account set up for your, your child, a Coverdale savings account, you want to take a look at it. If you have your child's education uh, uh, investment uh, invested in the market, take a look at their allocations and make sure that your asset mix reflects your true temperament for risk, but also take into consideration your child's time horizon, meaning that if the child is really close to college, you need the money to be there, so you may have to be less riskier. In respect to, like, my son Chance, who's, you know, 16 months old, uh, he has a long time horizon, so I can be a little bit more aggressive. But take a look at that. Four, create a power of attorney. Again, if you're hit with a situation where you can't, negotiate on your on yourself you can't conduct your business you have to have somebody there that you trust 
that's competent, that can take care of business if you're unable to. So, again, that's a component of your uh, state planning, in addition to uh, just a regular power of attorney, that's also a health care power of attorney, which you need to have also to give guidance or directions as if you were on life support or you needed to have some guidance as to how your health decisions about your health should be taken into consideration. So make sure you got that in place. Uh, five, manage your student loans, right? You got student loans out there. The CARES Act allows many federal loan payments to be paused until September 30th. And so contact your lender, inquire about what options may exist. You may be able to use these funds to grow your emergency uh, funds during this time of, uh, of crisis. So taking consideration that, and I will add one more to this thing, refinance your property if you can. And again, the Fed has dropped the interest rates. Interest rates are pretty low. If you're positioned properly with the credit score and the equities in the property, you could possibly refinance your property, get a lower payment, and take that difference and save it for the emergency fund or pay off the property a little bit sooner. So those are my tips. It is so good to be back. If you got any questions about those things that I just gave out, again, call my office at 708 708- Six four seven one zero zero five. That's seven zero eight six four seven one zero zero five. We are still open and helping individuals. Uh, we can schedule uh, a phone consultation and be able to t- to talk and work through these things. Uh, follow me on social media: Instagram, C Monday, Facebook, Curtis R Monday. Subscribe to the Curtis R Monday podcast on Apple iTunes and also the YouTube channel, Curtis R Monday. Keep it locked. Here on WVON, I'll take a quick break, and I'll be back at 11 a.m. with uh, uh, my co-host, E.J. Williams, with She Flips, He Flips, a show about real estate investing. It is great to be back again with you guys. I'm happy to be back on the fold and serving you. Uh, wishing everyone, by the sound of my voice, health, be safe, practice social distancing, do the right thing. I want to be able to talk to you and share with you next week. As always, I don't do this for my first name. I do this for my last name. Chance Jordan, daddy loves you. God bless. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.